at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them, so grab a popcorn and head over to our row so we can chat movies like friends do. There's always room for more movie friends. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And this week, I'm joined by Sif Pop Writer's Jeff. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, Sunday night. Writer's Strike is over. Feeling good. Last week tonight is premiering in an hour, so we're thrilled about that. So we got <laughs> 51 minutes to wrap up this episode, all right? <laughs> we're also joined by Sif Pop Writer Jonathan. Hi, everyone. We uh, do SifPop.com uh, reviews, movie reviews, best ever challenges, other interesting movie-related articles. Jeffrey and Jonathan, have, sorry, Jeff and Jonathan, we have another writer, Jeffrey, too. <laughs> Jeff and Jonathan, both been on the show before, um, talking about uh, a lot of different things. Jeff most recently was uh, 500 Days of Summer. Uh, Jonathan, I am drawing a blank. I know we talked Back to the Future at one point, didn't we? Maybe. Um, gosh, what was the last thing we talked about? I can pull it up now. Oh, you know what? We did um, Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and I know there was one time that we had to, I think it was that one, uh, Mm -hmm. scheduling conflicts came up. Sure. But but yeah, uh, Jonathan's been on the show before as well. It's good to have you guys back. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of things on the podcast today. Uh, we'll start off by playing a game of wavelengths. Um, we We are still postponing the coming attractions until the end of the uh, SAG after, after strike. So we will not be talking about the coming attractions just yet, but I do believe that we will be getting there hopefully shortly. I would very much like to in, to bring that segment back because it's, <laughs> I realized since I don't have to know what movies are coming out for this podcast, I just never know when movies are coming out. So like last mm-hmm. week and I'm like, I'm a huge Saw franchise fan. I was just like, Oh shoot, that's this week. Yeah. All right. So then I, went and saw it and uh yeah i uh like it, it like that's just kind of how my movie experiences in 2023 have been since we've stopped i'm just like mm-hmm. oh shoot that's this week well i'll go this weekend and anyway i was like, able it, to get out and go see dumb money this weekend it was very good nice yes. i'm um probably waiting for streaming on that one but i am just i am excited i just with already seeing saw and i would like to see the creator and um i am yeah pumped for the exorcist believer just because of that trailer and david gordon green but so i guess i guess that's a little coming attraction <laughs> anyway um, <laughs> but we will talk about contact and district nine as we uh for our main topic and then because uh i didn't want to do basic like alien movies um i know that was suggested and i had certainly thought of it but i was like we can be more creative than that so i want to we're going to talk about what are some of our favorite shots in cinema history because contact has i mean multiple but like really one that is kind of uh i was gonna say grandfather but that's not really right like it's hall of famed for sure Mm -hmm. yeah iconic for sure so so we'll talk about some of our favorite shots. They could be winners, they could be frames, they could be stills, they could be extended sequences. Just what is, uh, what are some of your favorite shots uh, in cinema history? Uh, we'll just kind of round Robert style that. Uh, do we still call it? I need an official ruling from 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 Robert when he listens to this. Robert, when you're off of the show, do we still call it round Robert? Anyway, DM me in Slack. Um, but we'll do it round Robert style. And uh, and then we'll wrap up with a spinoff. Quick recommend or warn from each one of us. But first, let's get a chance to get some uh, movie opinions out of the way here real quick. We're going to start off with a game called uh, Wavelengths that we've been playing um, in 
um, uh, in lieu of the coming attraction stuff. I feel like it's a good intro. So let's get on um, with it. Um, I will go first, meaning I will be the person that does not know what the number is. So Jeff and Jonathan have come up with a number and each of them have a film that they would rate that film out of 10. And um, I'm going to ask for the genre and then they'll give me their uh, their answer. And I'm going to guess what that rating is based off of uh, the films that they gave me. So let's start off. We have action, animation, horror, comedy and sci fi. You know what? Let's just rip this bandaid off. It's Saw and Exorcist Week and all that. Let's let's get the horror pick out of the way. What do, what do you have for me for horror? Go ahead. Oh, you, you want me to go first? Sure. All right. I chose Cloverfield. Mm, very timely. I chose Freddy versus Jason. Oh, man. 10 out of 10. Already. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, <laughs> I'm watching Freddy versus Jason. I've seen it before. Um, actually, I really loved it in high school. Like, Kind of ironically, like it's not really a good movie, but it's a good time, right? At least, in my opinion, yeah, don't, don't spoil it. But <laughs> Heath is coming on to talk, uh, Heath and Austin are coming on to talk about the Freddy versus Freddy films, any film that has Freddy in it. Nice from the original Nightmare on Elm Street to the reboot. So, I'm really excited to visit that one again. Let's do comedy, we'll just we'll go straight to the other side. All right, uh, for this one, <laughs> I have The Cabin in the Woods. Oh, man. I see. I'm not convinced that we're off a 10 out of 10 yet. (laughs) (laughs) I have. I was was curious about this one because I don't mean to cut you off, Jonathan. I was just curious because I was like, I don't know if I should put this in horror or I should put it in comedy. It fits in both, I think. Mm -hmm. But I went with comedy. I have Evan Almighty. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. (laughs) Wow. I was confident we were at a 10. I think we're at a one right now. Holy crap. Either, either, either Jonathan likes Evan Almighty way too much or Jeff, Jeff needs to see Cabin in the Woods again. Uh, Let's do sci-fi. I put the Matrix Resurrections. Oh man. You either love or hate it. I hate it. I put the exact same movie. Matrix. Wow. Did you really? I Perfect. did. That's Perfect. That's all awesome. sections. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> man. Man, oh man. You guys. Uh. <laughs> Animation. Why not? The Simpsons movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I put Lightyear. You guys aren't helping me out. <laughs> <laughs> and I got an action movie. Live free or die hard. Oh, I love that one. <laughs> That's a good one. I picked Mission Impossible 2. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I get that. All right. I have a theory. I think that I think that Jeff went into my letterbox and picked movies that I adore <laughs> and Matrix Resurrections and <laughs> movies that I adore that he apparently hates. Because, look, Kevin Almighty... We're maxing out at a four, right? Throwing Mission <laughs> Impossible to like for sure, right? I know that people love or hate Matrix Resurrections, but that movie's a giant piece of garbage. <laughs> oh man, I know that people that like The Simpsons but don't like the Simpsons movie, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And Light Years with Big Disappointment. I liked Cloverfield, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Freddy vs. Jason's a bad movie, but it's a good man. <laughs> 
it's not higher than a four. It's just not. <laughs> There's no way it's a five or higher. And if it is, then you guys have problems. Um, and that's fine, right? To each their own. But <sighs> I am going to guess. All right, I'm going <clears> to. <throat> I'll guess a three. Oof. Wrong. Wrong. Yeah. What it, what it, how, how wrong was I? It was a five, good sir. Five. Five. Yeah, not too bad. No, it's close enough, but like, man, like Cabin in the Woods is a 10 out of 10 for me. I watched it again like last, it's, it's a film I adore, right? Well, when when I put it in terms of comedy, I, I don't put it as high. Like in in Mm. terms of a horror movie, I would put it a little, a little higher in my opinion. Sure. But also the Merman sequence is hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Evan Almighty at a five. All right. To me, the my, my way of kind of picking some of these was like, a lot of these movies are just kind of in the middle for me. Like yeah. Simpsons mm-hmm. movie, I'm kind of just like, you know, I, I, I like it, but I don't kind of like it. It's just, sure, it, sure. It, it just, it doesn't really like fit right in with me somehow. Uh-huh. Good for your Die Hard has kind of been a movie I haven't seen in a while, so I kind of put it kind of mid tier. Cloverfield, I love again, that as movie, a horror movie. But to be fair, I was twelve when it came out. I don't know a twelve year old that wouldn't. I was going to say movie. I was I was around the same age when it came out, so I'm kind of like again, it's just kind of middle yeah. tier for me. Cloverfield as a horror movie, kind of in the middle tier for me as well, and then Matrix yeah. Resolutions as sci fi, just again straight in the middle. Wait, resolutions or resurrections? Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, resurrections. I was like, revolutions is good. Wait. <laughs> Re- reload reloaded is two reloaded and is it revolutions, Re- revolutions is three revolutions. yeah revolutions you i thought was good the first time i saw it yeah and i thought reloaded was bad the first time i saw it and now i have opposite opinions maybe if i watch matrix 4 again i would like it but i'm not putting myself through that again it's it's not great but it's i i think it's got some redeeming i qualities. look i like that the wachowskis basically made it as an fu to warner brothers i sure. like that and i get it right yeah but that doesn't make the movie good. No. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes the existence of the movie good, but. Mm-hmm. And that friend for that, it's a solid vibe. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. A, a in, in behind the scenes and F in what actually got out there. For sure. <laughs> okay. Who wants to crack next? Um, I'll go next. All right. Jonathan and I picked a number. You give us a genre and we'll, we'll give you our picks. Yeah. All right. Let's just go across the board. Let's go animation. And whoever wants to chime in can chime in. Mm-hmm. Okay. I went with Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. Mm-hmm. I went with Encanto. Okay. Good, Jonathan, whenever you're ready. Oh, okay. Which one's next? Oh, um, that's a good point. I probably should have said that. <laughs> action. Action. Okay. I went Last Action Hero. I went with the original Ghostbusters. All right, and horror? Horror, I have 28 Days Later. I have Pan's Labyrinth. I know it's not super horror-y, but it kind of can fit. It's got some horror elements in there, yeah. Sure, yeah, it works. Yeah. All right, and then comedy? I have I Love You, Man. I love that. Um, I have The Big Lebowski. Ooh, okay, this is is interesting. (laughs) Because I know people who love Big Lebowski, and I know people mm-hmm. who despise Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. and I'm one of the people who love it. I've uh, been then... everywhere on the spectrum on that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then let's go sci-fi. I have The Fly. Okay. I have Dune from 2020. Gotcha. 
Hmm. A little part of me, because like when we started this, I was like, I thought maybe it was on the lower side because I'm not a huge fan of Encanto. I I've never seen Last Action Hero, so I don't know that one as well. Mm-hmm. But then we started. We got to Ghostbusters. We got to Twenty Eight Days Later, and and then it just kept getting all these films. Just started to keep, like in my opinion, started seeming better. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. so I, I it kind of threw me through a loop. I think. Can I go ahead and make my guess? Sure, for sure. I'm going to say you guys rated all these at nine. Close. You're closer than I was. Um, we we went. We went with an eight. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Job. Solid yeah. Job. Especially I, not having seen one. Yeah. I've seen most of these. It was you know mm-hmm. uh, it was just last action hero is really the only one I actually do. I take that back. I will. Pan, I haven't seen Pan's Labyrinth either. Yeah. I will staunchly defend last action hero. One well, in fairness, like last action heroes, like critical. Mm-hmm. And even I think general wide audience is not very well received, mm-hmm. but people do love that movie. Yeah. Um, right. It was and, one and of our, another person's treasures articles. Yeah, Thank exactly. You. And that was kind of one of those things I had to take into account when kind of going through this list was like, it's not the, the critics. It's not the, the wide audience. It's you two are choosing these. So mm-hmm. like, I have to be like, okay, obviously, you know, we're taking all that out. And I have to think about like what their perfect movies are, you know, Robert, came up with the idea last week that we should actually prepare our answers in advance as opposed to just in real time on the show, which I think was a great decision. But it definitely allowed me to prepare like films that I think could be a lot more wide ranging, such as like, I think some people would say that me calling the original Ghostbusters an 8 out of 10 is heresy. Uh, And it's (laughs) a great movie, but it certainly has its flaws. Sure. Absolutely. And I'm with you. Encanto's good. It's not Mm -hmm. excellent, you know. Maybe slightly overrated, and I am I am probably as high as I will ever be on the Big Lebowski right now. And I think yeah, I've no, seen I it would, three times. I was gonna say I would put the Big Lebowski at about like an eight as well, maybe a nine. I don't think it's perfect, but I I think it I think I have a lot of fun when I watch it. Well, and currently Dune is an eight, but we'll see once Dune Part Two releases because yeah, I don't care what Robert says, it's half of a movie. Yeah. I don't care Dune how many was, times he's going to make his made me, Dune is what would made me think that it, that all of these were a little bit higher on the list. Yeah, that's fair. Because I was like, I have, I don't know anybody who who walked out of the 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 Dune movie and thought it was bad. So I was like, there's got to be someone. It's just half a movie, right? No, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jonathan, let's go. Jeff and I have prepared a number for you. What genre would you like to hear first? Let's go with horror. All right. Do you want to exorcist here? All right. I chose the Invisible Man. The original or the reboot? The the reboot. Sorry, the one that just came out mm-hmm. fairly recently. A couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go with action. The Amazing Spider-Man Two. Okay. I have the town. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very equal, very similar movies in terms of mm-hmm. quality. Yeah, for sure. Let's go with uh, comedy. I have Juno. Oh, I love Juno. Okay. Annie Hall. Oof, never seen Annie Hall. Really? You're, you're fine. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's enough in the zeitgeist that I think it's well regarded. Mm-hmm. I love Juno. It certainly Amazing. is. I think. I I think it is. Woody Allen's most 
highly at least certainly most popular film but it's yeah it's definitely his most popular is it like midnight in paris might be a little bit more highly regarded but yeah it's really up there because i think that's i think that's really the only one of his film that's like been like nominated for like best picture at least one of his only ones i think you'd have more nominations if um he were a better person <laughs> I mean, look, I I'm willing to believe that yes, but also like they are still just allegations at this point. Like I want to be careful. Yeah, I, I know. I'm yeah. just playing around. I know. I know. I'm just like I'm trying to say. Like I think he would have had more if he wasn't potentially a child molester. Anyway, if he wasn't probably a child molester. Oh man, the Amazing Spider-Man Two is still mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. throwing mm-hmm. me. Let's see. Let's go with uh, animation. I have Monsters University. Mm-hmm. I have Toy Story 3. Okay. Man. Of, uh, Pixar sequels. And then, um, yeah, let's, let's round it out with sci-fi. I vehemently disagree with that. <laughs> okay. So sci-fi, what do you got? I have the original Blade Runner. Okay. And I have Ex Machina. Ooh, that's... I vehemently disagree. <laughs> oh, man. You're not, you're not helping me. Okay. Let's see. We got a couple disagreements mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from Aaron on... Ex Machina, which I love. Oh, I didn't even say that. I 100% disagree with Annie Hall there as well. Okay. I saw it once I and almost, like, I, I saw it once and I'm like, that's that's enough Woody Allen for me. <laughs> Let's see. And he disagreed with Toy Story 3, but I really like Toy Story 3. Mm-hmm. And man, it just keeps coming back to The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which love... Andrew Garfield in the role, but that was a mess of a movie. Mm-hmm. Mm, but that was action. I'm trying to think, was the action in it? Action in it was fine. Let's see. I will say, mm, I'm going to go with. <laughs> I'm bouncing between a four and a six. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go six. Thank God you picked six. Was it four? No. Oh, okay. Was it's it not higher? Six either. It's just, okay. It's it's eight, and if you would have said it was four, though, <laughs> like I mean, that means that we did our job, right? But like... yeah, oh for sure. <laughs> yeah. I I I I agree with Toy Story three and Ex Machina eight for but sure. Juno. In no world is Ex Machina less than a ten, and Toy Story three less than a nine. Like for sure. That's I, that's I, why I, I vehemently oh, disagree. I see, I see. I see. Well, see, <laughs> yeah, even that threw me. I thought you were suggesting that he had him in one. You know. Well, I disagree strongly with his choosing the, to rank them that way. But got it, got it. Okay. See, even that threw me. Mm-hmm. Well, if you see, if you see, because I, I I made up a whole chart of like what I would of what I would rank in those categories, and if you saw my nines and tens, you would be like, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, you have to explain though the Amazing Spider-Man two. Yeah, I love it. I think it's actually a really great movie. I think I think it is the biggest example of studio interference killed a movie. Okay. And studio yeah. ambition trying to catch up to um, the previously established MCU. They really kind of wanted they really wanted to establish their own thing and go straight to the Avengers. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think also they really wanted to have it kind of caught up so they could rival the Avengers. But also, I'm pretty sure that they were already I'm, I'm pretty sure it's documented at this point that they were in talks about having Garfield Spider-Man join the MCU. I do remember hearing some rumblings about that when Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out. 
Right. When everything happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then even they were going to bring, you know, bring them back for a third one and they were going to have Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I heard all that too. And I was, I was really excited for it. Well, the very next one was supposed to be a Sinister Six movie and then they would do the Amazing Spider-Man three and then four. And then I think it's believed that they would do like a, 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 another like i think venom was supposed to be in there somewhere anyway the uh i i think that the amazing spider-man 2 is a legitimately great film that mark webb made and really wanted to make a better movie but it's it's just like spider-man 3 where raimi made the best that he could with what the studio was doing yeah Uh, and but i think that webb tried to make it work and and i think cared enough about the project that it worked better than raimi spider-man 3 I think Raimi just lost faith and then just made a bad movie. But I think Webb really saw a vision there and went for it. And I think that the chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone is automatically at least going to give me like a, a six out of 10. But I was, I was going to say it's, it's the best story between the two main love interests, the best suit in any, mm-hmm. absolutely like the yeah. live action Spider-Man and probably a hot take, but the best score in any Spider-Man movie. Sure. And I, yeah, I, I, I I, actually, I was gonna say I liked this. I liked the score in the second one, but I think the first one was better personally. The first one is a better film, right? But like, I, I mean, like... I'm just talking. I'm just talking score. Oh, sure. got it, got it. I can't remember the first score. It's been a hot second since I've seen that one, but I remember liking it. But I really like that Hans Zimmer, and it's not. It's not Junkie XL. I'm so used. To, it's Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL. Whenever you say Hans Zimmer and yeah, right? but it's not. It was. <laughs> Somebody like else. I think like the main like theme like the Spider-Man theme in the yep. in the second one is really good like the dun 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 like I think that's really good but I just think I like the score like the overall score more of the first one. I'll have to rewatch the first one to see, but either way, certainly best costume. Um, for and, sure, mm-hmm. for sure. And, and with with that, I actually just saw something a couple days ago. It's the only Spider-Man movie where in the final battle he doesn't either remove his mask completely or it's half you know yeah. torn off his face or whatever mm-hmm. um so yeah. it, it kind of stands alone in that regard um but yeah it's it, it's yeah it's just one of those that where it's like i think there's a legitimately great movie here it's just i'm i see the studio interference and for that reason i'm able to look past it and i'm willing to appreciate the things that the movie's doing really well and sure. that's why i'm still like so hopeful that they can that they will eventually make the the Amazing Spider-Man three, and I think I that it. I think that No Way Home set set that up perfectly, just kind of with Garfield talking about how he went down a dark path mm-hmm. and yada yada, and he wasn't proud of himself. And I think not even telling that story, but just picking up from where that leaves off. Now we have a rejuvenated Peter Parker. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be is, really cool. Is yeah, a perfect pickup for for all that. Plus, I Drew, Drew Goddard was supposed to do the Sinister Six movie. And apparently he's had it ready to go. He's just waiting on a green light. Like even amidst all the Spider-Man stuff changes, mm-hmm. like he's still ready to do a Sinister Six movie. And I, I want that so bad. Um, there's That'd actually a really interesting. Um, I mentioned this is on the spinoff of a few weeks ago. There's a YouTube channel called um, Bullets and Blockbusters. And it's this guy that does deep dives into like films that were like announced or films that were being worked on. And then if eventually scrapped, you know, like Superman lives, Tim Burton's Batman three um, Batman triumphant. There's, there's a video on what the original Hobbit movies were going to be when they were going to be directed by Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. And he talks about all the, like as he gets as much information as he can. And he presents them in these like 10 to 15 minute mini documentaries. 
and he has a really great one on like after the amazing spider-man 2 and it was gonna get wild and bonkers and i don't ultimately think it would have worked because like they were gonna like bring back captain stacy like revive him and like bring back gwen as well and she would be like spider gwen plus they were gonna do black cat and mary jane and venom and they were gonna do some weird things i think to stand out but i don't think it would have worked yeah interesting Anyway, now that they're not rushed to build a cinematic universe, you know, maybe they can do it. Yeah, but see. they're already still kind of doing that with all these, like, you know, with the like Craven and Venom movies and the and Morbius. They're already kind of starting to do something like that. Yeah, but I think which they I'm not are fan, limited. Which, which I'm not a fan of. No, and I even think that the... I'm not as big on Venom Let There Be Carnage as, as everybody else seemed to be. I felt like I liked it. It was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very watchable, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is pretty much the same to say about the first Venom as well. But like, I think there's limitations on what they're allowed to do with the new structured Marvel Sony agreement. I think there's limitations on what they're allowed to do, and I think that Sony is hoping. I mean, there's also like I think Kevin Feige is like involved in some of the stuff. Not Morbius, but anyway, I don't know. I would be surprised if there's no like. At the very least, slight guidance from Kevin Feige or or John Watts for the. There's probably uh, some phone calls between Feige and Pascal yeah. and everything. So. Look, look, I if I was Amy Pascal, I would absolutely call Kevin Feige. And be like, will you read this script? Is this going to be great or terrible? <laughs> right. We want to hire this person. Can I get your opinion? Like, why not? Yeah, Girl. just do some consulting for Sony. Yeah, that, that would probably help them out exponentially it yeah. would oh for sure somebody make me the head of sony uh comics division <laughs> so right now. all right one more thing before we move on um uh, i have a random question for you you guys don't know this question i do i need you guys to close your eyes and imagine a kitten just appeared on your doorstep what are you naming that kitten go uh, peanut nice that's a great <laughs> kitten name that's a pretty good one i would go samson Hmm. nice yeah respectable yeah. strong right yeah i go with mittens like if i'm gonna name <laughs> a pet like it's gonna be something silly you know i have yeah. a i have a corgis named cheddar nice. <laughs> oh you're you're not a big fan of uh, brooklyn 99 at all yeah not at all <laughs> actually the like the best reactions would be like oh like did you have you seen brooklyn 99? you know he's named after right like <laughs> i was gonna i actually I met with the people who I got him from and um, they had a boy and a girl available. And if it wasn't going to be, I, I said, if I get the boy, it's going to be cheddar. If I get the girl, it's going to be wiggles. Cause I think that would be a perfect, but <laughs> very cute. Yeah. For kitten. I think, I think mittens partly it's an, it's always sunny thing, but I think just mittens is a great anyway. Nice. As mentioned, we are skipping the coming attractions for now. We, uh, until the end of the SAG after strike, uh, which we hope is soon. And, you know, I, I like to think that it will be soon. I think the, I think the writer strike is always going to be a bigger hurdle. Yeah. I think now that the writer strike is over, the actress will probably come back fairly soon and have, have their deals. Done. Well, it's, if the studios are willing to give that to the writers, why would they not to the actors, sure. you know, yeah. whatever they're, you know, what they're asking. Cause it's a lot of the same principal stuff and i know that i saw that there are i don't know that the full details have been revealed but i at least know that the writers got all that they were asking for streaming residuals and yeah uh pr- protection against ai in creation and editing their stuff and like i know they got what they wanted i know the actors kind of want similar things and 
again, streaming residuals are a big thing. So, but also like here, here's the sad reality is um, Netflix is not just going to be like, oh yeah, we'll pay our CEO less. They're just going to take it out of our pockets. So yeah, I hate yeah, saying so, it. Yeah, but, yeah, but our, our, our monthly subscription is going to go up. Watch mm-hmm. all of your subscriptions go up a couple bucks a month, but you know what? Yeah, it's fine. If, if everybody in, that is making this quality content is going to be taken care of, fine. Anyway. Sure. But yeah, I also think especially because like since the writer strike happened first, um, I think I think it was just one of those where it's like that's going to be the bigger hurdle because as long as they stand strong, they're not sure. backing down. But now that the studios finally have given in to the demands, um, why not also the actors, you know? But mm-hmm. Absolutely. They got to make money. And they got to have people working. So. Yep. All right, quick chance you've got to hear some movie opinions from these guys. If there is any place that uh, they want to see or hear more um, movie things or anything, any way that they want to connect to you, um, any places that you would like to encourage people to to reach out, where might those be? Jonathan, let's start with you. You can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my first name, Jonathan, last name, Feedy. Um, I'm on Facebook too, but mostly just family pictures and stuff there. Um, but that's about it. And uh, Jeff? Uh, yeah, so you can find me if you want to, you know, rag on me about where I you know, put Ex Machina and Annie Hall on my list. You can come and find me on uh, Twitter, mm-hmm. sla- or, or X as it's called, at uh, Jeff nope. Allen Writes. Not here. <laughs> nope. You can also find me on Letterboxd, where I try to post all the movies that I'm watching on there. The same thing, Jeff Allen Writes. And then um, on Instagram, I uh, I'm on Je- I it's mostly ph- photography, but sometimes I post movie stuff. I uh, I'm at Jeff Allen Photos, and I also want to do a quick plug of a movie that I produced uh, fairly recently that just mm-hmm. made its way on just made its way onto Tubi. It's called Silent as the Grave. You can mm-hmm. buy it, you can mm-hmm. you can watch it for free on Tubi, or you can buy it on Blu-ray on Amazon. I'm going to check this out this week. Thank you. I didn't yeah, know, let me that. know what you think. Yeah, I was a I was a production coordinator on it, so I basically just planned and scheduled everything from all of the pre-production stuff to our last day of production and then uh yeah, it, it turned out really great. I'm really proud of it. The directors were a dream to work with. They're they're so great and uh awesome. yeah. And and one of my my good buddies is the lead actor. So it was a really fun project. Cool. Very, very cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Silent at the Grave? Silent as the Grave. As the Grave. All right. Well, that would have been step one is get the title right. Cool. <laughs> Very nice. I'm going to check that out soon. Yeah, thank you. Let's move on uh, real quick. Patreon side out. So patreon.com slash sifpopwr. They uh, make it all the episodes that come on here public. So whenever they come out, uh, when, which is essentially whenever we record, I'll run them through some posts. It's typically we record Sundays episodes. I could typically have ready either Monday or Tuesday. They'll go live there. Um, for the public feed, you should be able to get your own RSS feed that you can import to Google Podcasts or Spotify or iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. If you want these episodes a little early, um, you can get them uh, by copying the feed over there or patreon.com. Uh, there's a couple other tiers if you want to look at some other things for bonus stuff. But yeah, I think the biggest perk is just you can it's free access to early episodes. But maybe Wednesdays work great for you, in which case, thanks for listening. Let's move on to the SIF topic. We're going to start off talking about District 9, um, and then we'll move on to Contact, which I pulled up the sheets when I was looking earlier. District 9. Um, this is from the time that we did this last. Um, actually, no. Uh, Contact is the one that is that is on a repeated. District 9, this is kind of Jonathan's pick. So this is kind of one of those where you both had Contact listed here, and then I just kind of picked the one that I thought would fit the best with that. 
and that would be District 9, uh, obviously, because of aliens. Sure. So District 9 was on your list, Jonathan. You saw a list of hundreds of movies you could have picked for uh, picked from. Why is that one one of the ones that or the one that stood out? W- one of the ones that stood out the most enough to write it down? Well, I remember when I saw District 9 in uh, 20, 2009, um, immediately wanting a sequel, uh, a District 10. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was super fascinating, super interesting, um, a very unique and different take on if aliens showed up. And I just thought, you know, that it didn't answer a ton of questions, you know, why they were there or were seemingly stranded or how any of that came to be. It kind of just placed you in the middle of everything going on. And even the main character, watching it now years later, I was originally more sympathetic with the with, with the main character um, and everything he goes through. But watching it more recently, he's 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 not really a, a sympathetic character. He's he's all about like self preservation. Everything he does is trying to you know. I mean, until the very end, he kind of makes you know the sacrificial play so that Christopher and his son can get out. Um, but he's not a super likable guy. But his relationship with Christopher and and how that grows and and they kind of form this bond and Christopher's promise to make it back in three years and and you know i i remember even then wanting to see that you know where it all goes and you know sadly there's there's been no every few years you you read something about how there's going to be a sequel or a prequel i would take either but i just thought you know of all the movies where aliens show up and they're you know only interested in fighting us or they're interested you know they're super intelligent in something like arrival or something this was you know they were stuck and and needed help and kind of the it was just a super interesting unique take on that whole genre i thought sure jeff what is a little bit of your history with this film so i did not want i did not watch this movie in the theater when it came out but i waited until it was on home release to, to finally watch it and I was a little bit more, I don't even want to say sheltered, but I didn't watch a lot of like gory type of movies. So I kind of, and I knew this movie had a little bit of like, you know, bodies exploding and stuff like that. And then, so I, I avoided it as long as I could. And then I was like, curiosity got the better of me and I watched it and I didn't like that aspect of it, but I had, and I had not seen it since then, but now watching it, you know, so many years later, I, I, maybe I'm just so desensitized to it, but I watched it. I'm like, I don't know why I was so afraid of this. But I do love this movie. I, I I I shouldn't say I love it. I like it a lot. I do not think it gets talked about enough because I think I do I do think it's a really really well done movie. But I've only seen it twice. I don't have a huge emotional connection to it. But that ending where he says three years, you know, three years, I'll be back in three years, and then like he's turned into one of the prawns, like just, it just kind of like just oh, like it just hurts me in my heart because like it makes me think like. That's going to be a long three years. <laughs> yeah. Eating, eating cat food. Three yeah. <laughs> we'll also, we'll also just issue a spoiler warning. I feel like, um, you know, I don't need to at this point, but we did just spoil the ending um, and that's fine. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. I just, I, we're getting it out of the way for both films. We'll be able to talk about them fully in their entirety. Contact and district nine. Cause we're going to assume that you've seen them. Um, and if you haven't, I feel like if there's anything that's really crucial, that would really kill your experience watching this movie, then I don't think we'll say it. Um, unless like the whole movie revolves around that. But 
District 9. Um, the, I have a very vivid memory with the release of this movie because it was this and one other movie that came out separate years, but that I just had no idea about these movies. And then I saw somebody, two different people, um, different phases of my life. I was in high school when this came out and I was in college when the other movie came out. But movies I was completely unaware of. All of a sudden, one person who I did did not know as a movie person, still don't even know that they are movie people, come out and say, guys, this movie is excellent. you got to go see it. It was this and Ex Machina. So immediately those two movies were on my radar as soon as they came out. And as mentioned, I 100% agree with Ex Machina. I saw it really quick after it came out, but that was also one of those, like, got a lot of buzz at the Oscars that year. Like immediately, like once once it really started going, word of mouth spread fast for Ex Machina. But I remember like being there like, I'm the movie guy. How do I not know about this movie for Ex Machina? But yeah, District 9, I had no idea about it. And then somebody was like, did you see that movie? It's incredible. It came out this week. And I'm like, I have no idea what that movie is. <laughs> and I don't think I saw it until about two or three years ago. Maybe I feel like it is definitely like while I've been living here in Iowa. So that'd be six years. I feel like it was on the more recent side of that, maybe like just before I started this podcast, or I might've even used this as a spinoff for this podcast one time. Anyway, I remember seeing it w- once, before, but I don't know why I just don't remember any, I just didn't remember anything about this movie other than I remember it being fine. Lots to mm-hmm. like about it, but lots that didn't work and ultimately overrated. And uh, so I wanted to watch it again and make a final decision um, on whether or not I would keep, cause there was a couple times where I thought like, mm, Maybe I'll put this in my cell pile. And um, I eventually sold it, but that's because um, I upgraded it to a steel book that I got for like $2. So I was like, you know what? Even if I have to sell this one too, I'm sure I'm still making a profit. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. District nine. We'll go in that same order. Do you like it? Love it? Hate it? Dislike it? Or think it's just okay. Jonathan. I really, really like it. I think Mm -hmm. the only thing keeping me from love it is it is not a, pretty movie to look at um just the documentary style of it the the the, some of the limitations there are are special effects wise they they had a very small budget um Mm -hmm. when compared to other movies but it's it is just you know a lot of body horror and just gross um also the the other main negative for me is the the stereotypical military leader who is given a direct order not to do something and he decides you know i'm gonna you know do what i want and do he's Mm -hmm. the driving you know force uh in pursuit of of the main characters the whole movie and and it seems like he's getting orders left and right not to do this or not to do that and he's like i'm gonna do it and that, that just seems very tropey to me but barring those two things um really really like it super creative and for what they were able to, uh, the the special effects of the prawns themselves. Um, from what I've read, it was it was Weta who did them. But at the time, they were heavy, heavy, heavy working on uh, the first Avatar. So they kind of did what they could in the time that they have and for the money that they were being paid. But I think they look excellent. Um, I think they really hold up. They're really complex and gross looking. But the fact that I, I think it's the 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 story and 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 the characterization of, of Christopher and his son as as gross as they are to look at, like you you're on their side and you sympathize with them by the end of the movie. So I, I thought that was uh, really well done. Jeff, do you like it, love it, hate it, dislike it, or think it's just okay? I think I'm firmly in the liked it 
category because I I it's I I don't see it as like one of my favorite alien movies ever, but I do it's it's a tightly wrapped movie and like I think it's an hour and 45 minutes or something. Really quick to watch. If, you know, you can you can really get lost in it. You know, I think I think even the main character, as unlikable as he is, is relatable because we would all be in the same kind of mindset as him, as just freaking out. Got to get the right, you know, got to get, got to get, got to get answers. Got to get into this place. Got to break into this place. Got to, you know, do this, do this thing. And you even you even feel for the Christopher Johnson character as well because. And you can, and what, and what I love about the, the the special effects of them is that, like, yeah, you're right; they're not easy to look at, but you can see all of the emotions in their sure. faces, and it's 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 a token to how good the animation is on that, or the, the CGI or whatever. But you feel for that character as well because all he wants to do is is fix the ship and go home and get away from the humans. Because I mean, because the humans are the bad guys in this; they are sure. they are straight up the, the bad guys. And I just and I just love his his you know determination to get home, get you know even his determination to try to come back and help out um, the main character. I forget what his name is, but but just his determination determination to get back to him and help him for helping Chris get off of Earth. But I think it's super relatable. I think it's really fun to watch. Um, I remember there being more it being like. I don't know why, but when I watched it uh, way back in the day, I thought it was more documentary shot. Not because, like, I when I watched it this time, I was like, "Oh, it's not like a straight up documentary the entire time." It's you know, it does break off into that you know, not documentary style. And but it's just, I think it's just the way the camera movements back when I when I watched it, I thought it was all the same thing. Mm-hmm. But again, it's been a long time since I watched it. I don't totally remember. But yeah, I think I'm firmly in the liked it category, and I. Um, and I think it's a good watch. I think anybody who hasn't watched it should watch it. I'm going to go right where you are. I firmly and liked it. Um, I think this movie's got a lot working for it. Um, I think the reason why you remember this movie being more found footage is because the first half is way better than the second half. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a shame because I like what both halves are doing. And I almost wish that the movie would... I hate, I hate doing this because it, this is the exact thing that's wrong with film criticism. I'm trying to take a movie that didn't particularly work for me that clearly worked for the masses and try to fix it by like saying, you know, like, like I said, I think that Constantine is an excellent second movie in a trilogy uh, as opposed to being that first. Right. But like, so it's like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's something I, maybe I want the intro to be a little bit more condensed, but the intro is my favorite. Like that first part, that mockumentary style is my favorite part. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I want a little bit more of a split since it kind of feels like two movies because you have the eviction and then you have the him turning into an alien. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, here's here's what I here's what I really think. I think I think this movie I I don't want District 10 I agree. or or District 9 Part 2 or whatever. And and here's why I think eventually I want that movie. But I think that District 9 should go the Cloverfield route where there's so many stories you can tell with this established universe mm-hmm. where you can have your little 10 Cloverfield lane or whatnot. And we, we already have established the, the 20 years time jump between when they get there to, to um, when they to leave the present day. Right. Mm-hmm. Plus we have what, th- um, three years before he comes back mm-hmm. and we have all of the years of them living in the slums and they're still going to, evicted the aliens to the as he called them concentration camp like 
to the new tent location. Mm-hmm. Like I like they're still going to move forward with that plan. I th- and I think that they're going to be a lot more, ho- the humans are going to be a lot more hostile about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think eventually I want the sequel to district nine, maybe to kind of wrap up everything. But I think this is a great opportunity for you to be like, look, we have an established universe who look, there, there's some upcoming just out of, out of cinema school has a really great idea for a movie and he's got a script started, you know, and he wants to make a sci-fi film and we think it could work in this district nine universe. Let's do that. I think that's the way to go with this. Or I think that would be a really interesting way to go. And that's why I also kind of think like that first movie about the serving the eviction could be one of these anthology movies and, and the sequence of him, of him getting exposed and then turned could also be a different. I think the movie overall works. That's why I'm like in the liked it camp, but, mm-hmm. but it, it's something about it just did feel disconnecting to me, which is odd because I think it transitions really well from documentary to film. Um, I think part of that is because of the film style, the shooting style. It's very much like, Chaotic. I don't want to say shaky cam, but like boots on the ground, right? Yeah, like cameras aren't on trolleys. They're on people's shoulders, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, I feel like it transitioned really well. But yeah, it, it, as soon as he gets breaks out of that hospital, you know, or wakes up from the hospital, or whatever, you it, it feels the same, but there's no more acknowledging the camera. Uh, and that's why I think that that particularly worked well. But I think... Um, I think it's I think there's a really interesting um, film here and I think it works really well. I would love to see it go an anthology route and eventually give me a District 9 part two. But I also don't know that I need it. I think the story ends kind of perfectly. I, I'm kind of in that camp where like I, I don't I think it's it's a perfectly fine as a standalone film. I, you know, I, I would be open to coming back to this universe at some point, but I think it works completely fine on its own. It's such an interesting concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that I think that why this makes a lot of sense to do for uh, District 9 specifically is like that's this movie only got off the ground because, as you mentioned, they were working on visual effects for Avatar. So this was a prototype for Avatar and they had a they had such a small budget because almost all of their stuff was leftovers from Peter Jackson's Halo movie. So like. They were like, well, we might as well make something. Let's give some young, eager kid with a semi-cool idea a shot. And it was a huge success, right? So that's why I almost think, like, do it again, right? Uh, and even, like, like again, Cloverfield, I, I feel like, is that right now. But I'm saying I think you could do that here, too. You know, this 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 young up-and-comer, eye for sci-fi, really wants to do something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Who distributed this? Oof. Would that be Would remember. it be Fox? I'm not sure. Well, if they were using Avatar stuff, presumably it would also be Fox. Yeah, I, can, I can Google it real quick. Let's see. Uh, Sony. Sony, okay. okay. Well, I was just thinking, like, let's say it was Fox or Searchlight or whatever. Now that's Disney. Hey, who do we want to do the new Han Solo movie or whatever? Hey, we would like a young person to step in and bring a fresh vision, <laughs> but we don't want to just give some random nobody something. So give him a district nine project and then give him a star Wars. If that does well sure. mm-hmm. or something, you know, like, I feel like, like it could be a good middle ground or it could be kind of like an open sandbox world where you're like, Hey, here's a very, here's a, here's a world that's built. Tell stories in it. Mm-hmm. I think it could be really interesting, but I'm, I'm also going to make a statement here and, um, might be controversial and also might be completely not based in anything. I think that I know that Neil Blomkamp, Blomkamp blew up after this movie mm-hmm. because he was a no-name director that made this and it's very competent and it's very good. And then he was given a ton to work with. I I wonder if Neil Blomkamp's a one-hit wonder. 
Now, I say that as somebody who has not seen Chappie or Elysium, but knows the reputation of Chappie or Elysium. Mm-hmm. Because nobody talks about Chappie or Elysium anymore. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, and what, about, what about Gran Turismo? I haven't seen it. Okay. But again, from what people have... First of all, he's he's only a director that. He's not a writer. The, uh, the other ones, he, he's writer and director. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that also plays a part into it um, for me too. But I'm pretty sure at least... I, I don't know. I don't know about the writing. I just know he's yeah. direct. He directed Gran Turismo. Writer and director for Elysium and Chappie as well. Um, not a writer on Gran Turismo. Got it. Okay. So, but but again, like I feel like reactions on that. Like I, I don't know. Maybe I've only heard some stiff pop people. And I know one of the things that Alice said was she was hoping at least he might bring a visual visual flair to that, and she was really disappointed with how it looked. Mm-hmm. But I but I know she came out on didn't like it, and most people I think in the stiff pop group came out and liked it. So I don't know. But I just. After the, after District Nine came out, and then he did Elysium and Chappie. Um, he was gonna he was gonna do an Alien Five with Ripley returning That's and right. Bill Paxton coming back, and that was in production hell for forever. But he was ready to go with it. And I'm just I'm gonna say th- I'm gonna say the same thing here that I feel about like David Ayer's cut of this of Suicide Squad. I believe that David Ayer has a cut of the Suicide of Suicide Squad. I don't believe that cut's any good though. I believe that Neil Blomkamp has an Alien 5 script, I don't believe that script's any good. <laughs> like, I think that Neil Blomkamp is is Josh Trank. Um, <laughs> and and I think he just struck gold once, and and, the, and then, and, and I'm also, I don't mean this as knock on the people, either, necessarily, because I think they struck gold with their first outing, they had a really electric premise, and a really great circumstance to move forward with you know with old halo sets and avatar visuals right now and 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 josh trank just had lightning in a bottle with um the script for chronicle and i don't dane dehan and michael b jordan starring and dane dehan is a great actor he just hasn't maybe picked the best roles amazing spider-man mm-hmm. but like he's so good in chronicle and michael b jordan is so good as well in everything by the way mm-hmm. but then you look at then the studio's Gave him something bigger that he probably couldn't handle. They gave him a bad Fantastic Four movie. Or they gave him at least the the right to make it. And then, again, a movie I haven't seen. And we'll never see that movie, probably. But its reputation stands for itself, right? And then he made a, a movie that came out in 2020 called Capone, about Capone. And it's a giant piece of trash. Hmm. So Never seen it. You don't. It, it's 4.7 on IMDb. It's only 0.4 higher than Fantastic Four. And it's it's really bad. So, anyway... Look, I have respect for Josh Trank and Neil Blomkamp, but I, I'm just curious if they're both going to kind of be the same. And like, I will get excited about another Josh Trank project, you know, especially if it's not going to be total studio interference. Mm-hmm. Be- and I know that like from Josh Trank's mouth, Fantastic Four killed all of his like love and creativity for making movies, um, at least like that genre movie. Right. Well, because I heard about him not being a very easy director to work with especially on that set and so i wonder if maybe i'm sure there's part of that too yeah because i because i just wonder maybe because i i don't follow a lot of josh trank news or anything so i don't know what he's doing recently but like maybe it's because i know the the you know him not being very easy to work with on that set maybe just i just didn't care about him after that or maybe i'm being too hasty and i should give him another shot well, he just, he just hasn't done. He he did Capone, and that was it. And then he's apparently oh, okay. writing a movie called The Rise of Theodore Theodore Roosevelt mm. that's in development. And yeah, so and I don't know if this is series or movie or whatever. 
sounds like it should be a movie anyway but i think he was hard to work with because studio pressures and studio interferences and sure. i gotta think if he was a problem on chronicle then michael b jordan wouldn't have wouldn't have signed on to that fantastic four movie with him you know yeah that's a good point true yeah so anyway just and 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 again i, I i'm not trying to say that either of them are in inherently bad people or unskilled but i think i think they got lightning in a bottle and they took off and got a little too big for their britches as my mom would say and Mm -hmm. i think they both have so much potential but i don't know that we'll ever see that potential again you know i don't know that we'll ever get that lightning in a bottle i have more hope for neil blomkamp because at least like chappie and elysium are pretty highly rated right like like semi right district nine is a 7.9 on imdb i think compare that to a 6.6 and a 6.8 like that's not great but that's not like 4.3 and 4.7 for Fantastic mm-hmm. Four and Capone. But I'm I'm not particularly interested in the Alien 5 script. And I'm much more excited about the the showrun of Fargo that's making that Alien series for FX. Oh, I'm uh, way Noah more interested oh, yeah. in yeah, with yes. Noah Hawley. I forgot his name until you said it. I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, I'm way more excited about that than I am Neil Blomkamp's Alien 5. And again, like, I'm not trying to like, I'm going to move on because I'm really not trying to crap on this. But I'm just saying District 9 is lightning in a bottle and it gives me Josh Trank vibes. But there's still names that I'm like, oh, because I know what they can do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna be on the lookout for them. But I remember like after I saw Chronicle when it came out, I was like, yeah, Josh Trank's the next guy. He's going to make a superhero movie and it's going to be good. He's doing the new Fantastic Four. It's going to be so good. Trailer comes out and I'm like, mm, yep, not a chance. I actually had that movie at uh, number two on my action list. What? I, for for the for the game we played earlier, I had that oh. at number two on my action list for, for the for rating it as four. Oh, yeah, oh for, yeah, for rating. Got it. I thought you were. I was like for rating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I I'm not gonna. No, you're not missing. It's, it's not. It's not. You're not missing anything. We can we can move on because again, I don't want I don't really want to drag drag anybody's name through the mud like I have been, but I just. I think this movie got a lot of love, rightfully so, early on. I think because I waited about 10 years to see it, I think it's a bit overhyped. But when you look at it for what it is, I think it's really good. And I think the visual effects held up a lot better than I thought they were going to. I think the story's pretty good. It just it just kind of loses steam. And when it just loses, it loses a lot. Like, it's not a slow beat. It's just like, a, oh, I went from very interested to, oh, I don't really know that I care much anymore. And I think that's why I didn't remember this movie very much. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a thing in the and the thing. There's a really cool world about like aliens. And then s- somebody needs to break into the big government building to do something. And then the movie ends like that was what I remembered mm-hmm. going into it. And I think that's why is because the second half has cool moments, but is way less intriguing than the first half. Sure. Yeah, but I still really liked it. Nice. Certainly not going in my cell pile. <laughs> Good, excellent. Somebody, any anything else you guys want to say? No, no, no. Covers over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. One of the things I appreciate is that they uh, they also managed to um, really bring out the humanity in the the prawns as they call them. But I know that's mm-hmm. also like a derogatory term. I don't remember what the. Either way, I don't think they ever yeah. say like what the actual alien race name is. So yeah. like, I thought they said something, but most people call them prawns. And then it's like they're it's funny they're like, but prawns is a derogatory word. And then here's this guy leading mm-hmm. the eviction, calling them prawns, both in front of and behind their back. I'm like, even when they're when he's friends with them, I'm like, isn't aren't you like <laughs> maybe don't insult them? Yeah. Anyway. The other the other reason why I'm also like I want I want to know a concept for District Ten before I see it too because like I feel like this has 
Independence Day Resurgence and Pacific Rim Uprising written all over a sequel where it's like, mm-hmm. we know what the sequel is, right? We know the sequel sequel is he comes back and the aliens give the humans an ass whooping, right? Mm-hmm. That's what happens. But I, it, like, it feels like there was a string of movies in like the mid 2010s that was like, we're making sequels to movies that shouldn't have had sequels and we're going to end it by saying we're taking the fight to them like that's how in, like, i remember like the concept for still the concept for independence day resurgence is awesome right this is the alien second wave but because of a wormhole they traveled 23 years later right mm-hmm. i'm totally cool with that concept and even pacific rim uprising like cool there's still kaiju to fight somehow whatever <laughs> and i have some love for pacific rim uprising not a ton but some enough that i own it um i own a Target. I bought that movie twice on the same day because Target had the steelbook rights, but they didn't release it on 4K. So I bought it and then I bought the 4K and I swapped the disc. And I wasted too much money is what I'm saying. But end of Pacific Grove Uprising, we're taking the fight to them, right? Like this has... Oh, and then that movie never got made, right? The Predator, Shane Black's The Predator, we're taking the fight to them. Obvious sequel baiting. Like, I feel like District 10 has that. Like, it's going to be one of those, going to get a sequel that's going to promise a really cool trilogy, or end of a trilogy, but the second movie sucks so bad, we're never going to get it. Nor should we get that. Um, that's partly also why I don't want a sequel, is because this is so good, why ruin it with... And I'm yeah. not saying they would ruin it, you know, but... Yeah, that's fair. Not not when this movie was being made, I don't think the studios cared what happened. They're like, oh, he's spending like 40 bucks a week. Cool. Let mm-hmm. him do whatever he wants. Exactly. I'm sure they would care about the sequel. <laughs> okay. I liked the movie. Let me just say that again. <laughs> <laughs> really got to hammer that point in. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just think a lot of it works. And again, especially when you consider that it kind of was just a throwaway project for Sony. They're like, well, we might as well not lose money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for so. sure. Anyway. I mean, it had. A, I mean, it had like a like a twenty million dollar budget, and it made like two hundred and nine million dollars. So I mean, oh, and I'm pretty... sure residuals like home releases and oh yeah, I'm yeah. sure made it a lot more. Um, but I'm, I'm honestly surprised. I don't think they've released a 4K yet. I'm not gonna up. I'm not gonna upgrade it if they did. But um, I'm yeah. sure there would be people that to. would buy it. Yeah, the Blu-ray yeah. looks great. Oh. and it's not like a. I don't love the movie, so. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Contact. Contact, uh, Jonathan, this is a movie that you had on your list twice because you had it on the last time. It was your number one pick, but I went with Cloverfield because somebody else also picked 10 Cloverfield Lane. And it was your number one on this list as well. But Jeff had it on his list as well. And I do try to pair whenever people have a similar movie. I try to make that take priority. So I thought let's do that. And then I paired District 9 with this. Jeff, let's start with you. Tons of movies you could have picked. Contact is on that list. A quick why and your history with the movie. So I, I really don't have a big history with this movie. I think I watched this movie for the first time two years ago, maybe less. Okay. But I remember it, it being one of those movies that like, you know, like when I was younger and I would go to like family video or blockbuster or whatever, I would see it on the shelf and I would just be like, Someday I will watch that movie. It just looks interesting. I don't know what it's about, but I see Matthew sure. McConaughey on the post or on, on the thing, and I see Jodie Foster on the cover. I was like, I want to check it out at some point. And I knew it had something to do with aliens. I love anything to do with like aliens and space travel and everything. So I was like, I want to watch it. And then someone brought it up to me again, very you know, right before I did. I watched it for the first time, you know, a year or two ago. And I said, Yeah, like, why am I? Why have I? I have, I have access to it. It's on, it was on at the time it was on at like, um, like prime or Facebook or, uh, um, 
HBO Max or something. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to watch it. See what, see what happens. I got a free night. I'll watch it. Sure. And I absolutely adored this movie for the science aspect of it because mm-hmm. they really, really get into the, the, the science of space travel and then making the machine that they, uh, spoiler alert, they make a machine to send a person into space to, you know, potentially meet the aliens that they're communicating with. And it just, it, re- it really made me enjoy it, it, it. I had the same feeling watching this movie that I did when I watched Interstellar, which is a movie I, mm-hmm. I think is a near perfect film. Sure. And I love the science behind both of these movies. And I just, it, it just, it gives me all the, the, the excitement of space travel and meeting other, you know, intelligent beings and stuff like that. I just, I love it. Jonathan, you're quick. This is the one you want to watch um, adamantly. Uh, real quick, why that's the one and a little bit of your history. Um, for me, I, sorry, this movie came out in 97 and I distinctly mm-hmm. remember in 98, I was in eighth grade and my science teacher at the time, um, sh- it must've been over the course of a couple classes. Um, but she played the movie for us and we had to answer questions about, you know, space, you know, school stuff. But I remember just being completely fascinated by it. I had never it was kind of my first exposure to the expanse of the universe and, you know, time dilation and, you know, traveling so far and, you know, people on earth age, you know, a lot quicker than you do. And all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff was super fascinating. And, you know, to Jess point it, I really think of it as, you know, interstellar almost, you know, two decades before interstellar. Yeah. With the science behind it, with the, the questions it asks, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's funny, too, because I, I remember even at the time there, there was a South Park episode about, you know, one of the big controversies at the time was that, you know, you wait the whole movie to see this alien or these aliens and it's it's her father, you know, and in a mm-hmm. similar way, Interstellar, you know, sets up all this incredible stuff. And then one of the mm-hmm. main criticisms of, of that movie was he ends up in a bookshelf and, and all the kind of, you know, questionable aspects of that. I, I love both of them. Um, but. Uh, it it really kind of I think it 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 walked so that Interstellar could run. Um, it's, mm-hmm. And whenever it's on, you know, I'll stop and watch it. Just the the science of it and the you know the prime numbers and the math and and just you know approaching everything very logically, um, very scientifically. Um, I, it it I've I've loved it ever since. I for the first time saw this movie a couple hours ago and um oh so you watched it like today yeah nice oh wow yeah uh i started it uh, we started recording at about nine i started watching it at like 5 30 wow okay so it's a two and a half hour movie yeah right? that's yeah. that's not that uncommon for the for the movies that we do on this podcast i frequently am watching them uh especially when it's ones that my wife is interested in watching it my wife watched both of the both of these with me by the way she's in the liked it on um district nine and i think is in the liked it but pro- and I, I would say probably the same for both of them Hap liked it but probably will never watch either of these movies again and i understand why i could see myself watching district at least that first like 45 minutes like a good mm-hmm. number of times mm-hmm. so i'd never see this movie it was one of those that i like all right confession time um i'm due for a rewatch of close encounters of the third kind because i turned it on once in like 2019 or whatever uh 2020 maybe i think i was only half paying attention i might have fallen asleep and because i remember distinctly like being like that was kind of fine and 
so I was like, okay, maybe like older space movies aren't for me then. So, but I think um, there was enough people that were talking about how good this movie was. And the thing that I think this movie is most known for, there is a very Hall of Fame-y oneer in this movie that is incredible to see that I ha- had definitely seen that clip before. I had just never seen anything else. Um, and I, um, yeah, I, I picked it up one day on digital for a couple bucks and um, um, thought one day I'll watch it. And here we are. So one of those that I've owned for a while and finally watched for this podcast, which is the whole purpose of doing that for this podcast now. So that's my history. I knew nothing about this movie except I, I, I also knew that tonally it was supposed to be more closer to third in, close encounters or even arrival than anything else. Yeah, and, I would I would um, put it up there next to like arrival more than anything. Sure. Yeah, well, I think it's got like a lot of elements of interstellar and arrival and close sure. encounters and sure. whatnot. Like, I think it's got a lot of those different elements, but, uh, either, so I, I pitched it to my wife. I was like, it's like, it's supposed to be like interstellar or l- like arrival, but not as like crazy of an ending or anything like that. It's, it's supposed to be about, we made first co- trying to communicate with aliens, um, mm-hmm. that we like, yeah, have like, it's, it's like, like a, it's, it's it like is, not but as it's much, not. it's not as much as a, a crazy twist ending or, yeah. or heartbreaking as it as arrival is you know it's it's a lot more just if arrival was straight fact and you take away 99 of the heart to the movie which isn't to say mm-hmm. this movie doesn't have heart i think this movie is a lot of heart but it's just like it's nothing to level arrival agreed so on the like a love i hated just like i think it's just okay scale i really liked this movie um i can't quite go into love it because it's two and a half hours and it feels like five the the pacing is off and um i don't know how you fix it because i i think all of it is necessary but i it it feels way it feels like a chore to sit through this in one sitting but i love every second it's on but it's one of those where like you're watching it and you're like all right how much more to this movie that you pause to go to the bathroom how much more do i have left i'm only an hour in oh boy i thought i only had like 45 minutes left but then like the more things keep happening you're like oh i'm really in-. there was a couple points where my wife like had an out to leave and she just didn't take it mm-hmm. one of those points was about an hour in and uh i'm like that's fine if you want to leave that's okay she, she'll start most movies with me but then I uh, I just push play and five minutes later, she's back. She's sucked in. And then, of course, like the next time we pause the movie is is after the first ship blows up. And like you don't stop the movie there. Like mm-hmm. you don't not watch that much of the movie and not finish the end, especially like you'd have so many lingering questions. And like that's arguably the most tense part of the movie. Like so yeah, this movie, just it, it has like mm-hmm. five different acts and I really like all of them. It's just the movie feels like it takes forever. That's my only criticism. And I, I don't mind the the dad thing. I I think, again, for this movie not to be 10 hours long, I think the way they kind of explain everything by not really answering anything, but then also like, hey, you were unconscious, so we studied you, and that's how I'm speaking English to you. And we thought that, you know, we don't really have to show a lot of things. Like, we thought Pensacola, like, so your brain doesn't have an aneurysm. Like, it's like, yeah, that all makes sense to me and is a very easy movie way for you to explain everything i'm good with that so and there's a real there's some really great moments in there but i i think the other thing that surprised me about this i promise i'll show up after this last point for a while this movie manages to be just as much about wrestling with faith versus facts as as much as it is about communicating with aliens and i i i also appreciate the movie stance on it uh it's not it's not preaching faith or facts but i think the movie's overall 
if the movie had one goal, it's to say that the exploration of science and trusting in science is just as valid as trusting old texts found in a cave from some guy that may or may not have existed. Like, I think the movie does a really respectable balance to to both the science community and the faith community and says, why can't they coexist? But also not saying they have to coexist. For sure. Um, So I really respected every time they talk about that stuff, especially when they get to that final trial. And the whole thing that she has essentially been put on trial for the whole movie, you know, I couldn't pick you because 95% of the world believes in some sort of higher power and you're, and, and, and she doesn't even deny it. She just isn't taking a stance because mm-hmm. she's unsure. Cause she's curious, right? She's not even saying, Oh, I don't believe in a God. She's saying, mm-hmm. I just don't ascribe to any, right? So like, she's just saying, so, but the very thing that people had criticized her for earlier, she is now, being put on trial for the same line of thinking, but in a different way. Like, oh, well, you just say it exists, so we should just put blind trust in that. It's like this. Yeah. <laughs> and and as a person who went to Bible college, has a master's degree and all that, I know that faith is a lot more complex than that kind of stuff. And I think the movie maybe misses out on some of that, but that's not the aim of this movie. Sure. So, are you a, are you a, are you any of you guys a fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Very much. It's remember that the the the, the serial defense episode where Mac pulls yes. out the. The, like the the boards and he's like so you gonna want to take this on dare i say it faith it's like and so that that guy at the end of the movie where he's like you want us to take it on faith and i'm like that yeah. i had such vibes from that it was scene. so on the nose yeah it was, it was i was just like did he just watch that episode of it's always sunny so yeah no it's a it's a little on the nose there at the end and and mm-hmm. whatnot especially then when you later find out that james woods is hiding stuff mm-hmm. and it's like why, why on earth and i i love that moment that's that, that moment a, that moment for me moment. puts i can't puts understand why he would do it well so there i had two i had two thoughts on that because i was just talking to a buddy of mine at work about the end that ending right there and the first time i watched this film he i i i thought maybe he did that so that they could that he, that he was just he was just now hearing that information like I, that's how i interpreted that like he was just like uh I, I i don't know like but now in the second watching of it i thought okay maybe he's like maybe he's in that camp of like you know on the outside he's you know trying to dampen the expectations of it but in reality behind closed doors he's like we may we did make the first step maybe we're not quite there to make the next one you know like maybe he's trying to say like let's take this one one little bit at a time i think any interpretation that you make on why he did it has to be your own opinion like your own you have to fill in the blanks and i think mm-hmm. the movie is almost like set that way because it's not the point is why did he cover this things up but it is almost infuriating where you're like in order for you like for you to make that point i feel like you have to put in blanks that the movie hasn't put in there and i feel the same way right hey he knows the world isn't ready for this but we mm-hmm. never get a moment that definitively says that but i but i i think you yeah i think you can take it either way i see it as the world's not ready for this yet but but that but, means that you have to fill in the blanks and attach some things some places, and I don't know that yeah. that was the intent. No, I don't think so either. I think it was just I think it was just a, a good moment that they just they put in there. But for me, that moment makes it 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 it, may, it goes from a liked it to a loved it for me. Sure. Yeah, I can agree with that. There's a lot to love about the movie. I just can't get over the pacing. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think with the pacing, it's very methodical, and it's mm-hmm. very. I think whenever the movie asks a question, it goes out of its way to scientifically answer it. And I think if it had just kind of briskly moved along, there would have been a. It, it wouldn't have felt as, I guess well thought out or convincing or the science behind it um because i think in a lot of ways you know interstellar is a lot of people having conversations about sciencey stuff um but it's very compelling and i think if they had just glossed over a lot of that um in either film it wouldn't have felt as, as big or as consequential if they kind of if they didn't explain you know the science behind the decisions that are being made and the implications on not only her life, but, you know, what it could mean to, you know, zealots around the world or, or people, you know, it, it has a lot of far reaching kind of implications. Um, so I, I agree. It's, 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 it's long. It, it's, but I, that's never bothered me. Um, Cause I, I just find every yeah. aspect of it so interesting, you know, and, so, and maybe I would so, next time, right? Like <laughs> I think Interstellar is a two hour, 45 minute movie that I feel like I could have watched twice in the time it took me to watch Contact, even though it's 15 minutes longer. But I also think part of the thing that is so special about Contact is its dedication to science and being as scientifically truthful as it can be and accurate and going out of its way not to yada yada things and Interstellar definitely yada yada some things and um, or even if you want to take another Christopher example that he, he even like blatantly says like, like tenant, right? Like he has to yada yada so much and that movie's still two and a half hours, if not even a little bit longer, two forty maybe, but either way, like, I think what this, this movie's in a really interesting, like catch 22, where I think the science is part of what makes is, is a big reason what makes it so special. If you lessen that, I'm probably going to be still in liked it, but maybe even a little bit lower just for a very different reason. I don't. I don't know that there is a version of this movie that exists where I go into loved it because I, I really appreciate the sciencey aspects, but then I also like think that it becomes a little long at that point. It, it almost felt like this, this is a da- Correct me if I'm wrong. This is adapted from a novel by Carl, Carl Sagan. Sagan. Correct. Yeah. 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 It feels like a novel adaptation or it feels like maybe they really wanted to do a mini series, but nobody was going to give them the budget to do a mini series. This almost feels like, if HBO would have given them the for all mankind money, no, not for all mankind. What's the, yeah, what's the, from the earth to the moon. If, if HBO mm-hmm. would have done from the earth to the moon with that book, I think, I, again, I think pacing is a little bit different. I don't know that people stick through the end of it though, but I don't know. I like part of me, part of me just thinks it, it feels, it feels like a book trying to go down, but also keep all the, all of the like intricacies about the book, all the like, facts things about the book to try to stay true to science as well as it. so anyway mm-hmm. i i wonder like if hbo would have produced a four-part movie four-part series you know in 1997 how cool would that would that have made it better but either way i'm not sure there's a movie version of this here that exists that i am and loved it because if you sacrifice the science i don't like it because it's too shallow and if you sacrifice the 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 pacing then i'm gonna be like well just they're trying to be smart but they're anyway it's just catch 22 for me sure that's fair. Yeah, but, I get it. But yeah, I think one of the things that I, I, like I said, I just wasn't expecting was the commentary on faith versus science. And even, man, this movie does such a great job of casting a villain that you love to hate. Like with the, oh shoot, what's what's the character's name? 
Drumlin. Drumlin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he just takes credit for everybody else's work and he tries to undermine Jodie Foster the whole movie, even by saying, you're too good for this. And then even she finally proves, hey, no, I, I am the only person that can do this, right? I finally made con, you know, her, got a message from a world that isn't in our solar system, like, or that isn't in Earth, right? I got a message there, you know, you haven't done crap. Like, and then he takes all the credit for it. He does the presidential briefing. He retires so he could be part of the mission. He gets nominated because he says all the things that they want to hear. And then he gets blown up by a faith terrorist. But, you know, uh, either way, it's just what, like, you just love, like, this movie's really good at making a villain that you just love because you're like, oh, man. And I'm not part of the science community. I just, I'm, I don't have a job in anything science-y. I'm, 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 I did very poorly in science in high school. And I, you know, <laughs> not a chemist by any means. But I got to imagine it's like that because every job is like that, right? Where somebody just takes the credit for everybody else else's work or, you know, bosses mm-hmm. yeah, stereotypically like to do that. Oh, yeah. Look what I got my team to do. Or oh, look yeah. what I did. You know, like it's like, no, anyway, it's just it's 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 just one of those where you just like, oh, man, I hope he gets his comeuppance and then he gets blown up. I'm like, maybe that's a bit extreme, but. I'm also not mad. Like, <laughs> I don't hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when you realize, like, it, all right, let's imagine a world where Jodie Foster never gets to go, but he goes, where Drumlin goes. What is Drummond's experience like? He, come, he comes back as, uh, as, as an atheist. I mean, maybe, but also, like, <laughs> what, what is this? Like, surely, you, I get the feeling that the, the aliens are communicating, and it feels personal to Ellie, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I knew that they like downloaded all this stuff, but just knowing their personalities, like what is, what is Drumlin's response going to be? And how are the aliens going to react to Drumlin? And if he comes, and if he comes back saying the same things that she said, is he going to be treated the same? Like, I just wonder what's the, all what, like, what's this version of the story? I'm happy the movie doesn't take this route, but what's the version where he gets his comeuppance, not by being blown up. And also let me just say that John Hurt is having a blast in this movie, and I am here for every second of it. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Uh, he yeah. feels like the architect from The Matrix 2, but fun. <laughs> but fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like this guy watching something from a camera, peeping in to give you vital information only when you need it, yada, yada, yada. But also enjoying life, maybe high, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's and also it, even like they also even kind of hint in the movie that like he's even like smart enough to have done figured all of this stuff out himself. And yeah. he just, and so I'm like, if that's the case, then why would you need Ellie for some of this if you would just do it yourself? You, you know, because they even say they built two machines, you know, one, one the U.S. did and the, the U.S. made another one that he basically pretty much funded. So I'm like, if, if, if he. Why Why would he go through the, the process of getting Ellie to do some of this stuff if he could have just done it himself and he figured out the the the, the codec to, to break the, you know, the whole code itself and, and figure out all the plans and stuff. So why wouldn't he just do it himself? Yeah. One last note. I thought at the very beginning of the movie that I was going to hate the existence of Matthew McConaughey's character, not because of anything like with Matthew McConaughey, but I'm just like, oh, it's a forced love interest. Um, but I actually really liked his character by the end. You know, I liked, I don't like any part of their romantic relationship necessarily, mm-hmm. other than the fact that they could be diametrically opposed in, in 
certain viewpoints and still get along like 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 that ending like the ending line right where he's like you know her and i have different beliefs on faith and whatnot but i believe her like Mm -hmm. that was a really great moment and ultimately i think again kind of reinforcing the message of the movie being starting off kind of as an opposer but you like i don't know i never really got the sense there's a really my my least favorite part of the movie was the um the moment where he says i didn't not vote for you because of your faith i didn't vote for you because i couldn't lose you it's like you're dumb either way either way was a bad decision (laughs) not to vote that way because even me and my wife who are regular church attenders every week like we're both saying I would rather have the agnostic go because they are more open to something, For sure. you know, and mm-hmm. if they come back saying that there's something out there, then, you know, you might actually believe them. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, I, I wound up really liking their relationship by the end of the movie. I, I initially thought it was just going to be a, Oh, let's just do a romance because we have to, but mm-hmm. I, I, I really appreciated it by the end. Yeah, I agree. I am out of things to say about this movie in the current moment. Is there anything that I missed or anything that you guys want to say? Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. Actually, um, I do have one more thing to say, but I will let you go first. Um, I just say, I was just going to say there's a lot of like smaller roles played by great actors. Like, yeah, Rob, like, like Rob Lowe shows up mm-hmm. for a couple minutes. Jake Busey is in there for a couple minutes. James Woods, uh, Angela Bassett, yeah. like just like 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 little roles where like you think, oh, like how did they get Rob Lowe in this? How did they get Jake Busey in this? Like before they were really really big. So I've I, thought, thought, I thought that was worth interest uh, worth noting. I've thought about doing a B plot where we do like you know the our favorite like that guy actors. You know that guy in mm-hmm. quotes where you're like nobody knows their name, but you see their face. You're like, oh, that guy. I think um, the guy that plays the dad in this movie is 100% of that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. David Morse. I think to a certain extent, William Fickner could be. I mean, I mm-hmm. know and recognize him, but I feel like there are certainly some people that would be like, oh, that guy. I feel like uh, Max Martini, who plays Willie, is kind of a that guy. Yeah, he's, in, he, he's in Pacific Rim. He plays Herc Hansen, who's oh, yeah. one of my favorite characters. <laughs> he's apparently in Captain Phillips in 13 Hours as well. I was trying to think. There's another one. I really think. I feel like David Koechner is kind of a that guy. Yeah. But either way, people where you see and you're like, oh, I don't know their 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 uh, their name, but I certainly know their face. Again, more for like a common audience type. But oh, right. Shoot, the Americans in the Truman Show. He plays a CIA agent in the Americans. He's the neighbor best friend guy from Truman Show. Oh no. What's oh, it's gonna, he I'm was um Noah Emmerich yes. is 100% a that guy that I am delighted yeah. to see every single time for sure oh anyway anyway maybe one day I will do it as a plot and I'll come up with a more comprehensive <laughs> list but um yeah uh, this movie is full of that guys uh, yeah I feel like Ro- I feel like before Parks and Rec I don't, uh, I don't know because I haven't seen West Wing but like Rob Lowe was a that guy he but then he's great in West Wing. I just, I just hadn't seen it, so I don't know. But it feels like he's like got these little tiny roles everywhere. Yeah, well, I even think about like you know because he was in Tommy Boy before this, he was in mm-hmm. Wayne's World before this. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't, I, I, that's why I'm like, he's he's been in like he had bigger roles and other things. So I was like, I don't know, like why they just put him into like this really small role, only gave him like two minutes of screen time. And he Probably says, like, because everybody line. wanted in. I, I gotta think everybody wanted in on this movie, right? Yeah, maybe. It's Zemeckis, Possibly. you know, everyone wants to work with Zemeckis. 
it's Zemeckis. It's the Carl Sagan book. Yeah, it's a big budget sci-fi. Very like it's it's it, I mean, put yourself in 1990, let's say three, right? And this movie's announced or whatever. Like this is the next Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like mm-hmm. Rob Lowe also The Outsiders. Yeah, it's actually that one's on my my list. I I just bought it on uh, 4K Blu-ray the other day. I'm gonna watch oh, it nice. soon. Have you seen it before? A long, long time ago. I, I was like, I, I feel remember. like that's required middle school watching. I, that was exactly what it was. It was yeah. middle school, and I haven't, I haven't seen it since then. It's you know, it's been probably close to you know almost twenty years at this point. So I'm it's, like, I need to, I need to watch it again. It's amazing. I saw it as a middle schooler, and I was like, oh, everybody's in this movie. And then I saw it, and then I saw it again, and I was like, no, 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 no really, everybody's in this movie because like. Mm-hmm. I was taught in high school, and it's like, oh yeah, like sure, Patrick Swayze and Emilio F. Estevez and Tom Cruise and Diane Lane, but then you're like, and Ralph Macchio <laughs> and C. Thomas Howell and Matt yeah. Dillon. Everybody's in that movie. Sophia Coppola, man, come on. <sighs> William Fichtner's probably in there for all I know. <laughs> Maybe even Noah Emmerich. Maybe Tom Waits <laughs> is in there. That's a that's a certainty. Um, anyway. Contact has one of the most famous. Oh, uh, my my last notes. The score for this movie is incredible, <laughs> and I'm yep. ashamed that people haven't mentioned that before about when talking about this movie. It's for sure going on the. Um, I'm gonna listen to the soundtrack and take a bunch of songs that I like and put it on my instrumental playlist. The score is incredible. Mm-hmm. Perfect for sci-fi. Contact has a very famous shot that is a oneer that is also a trick oneer, meaning that there's a, a green screen thing, and it's really interesting if you want to look up how they did the shot. Um, there's even a video on YouTube of the cinematographer of this movie explaining how they did the shot and whatnot. Uh, but also, this movie should be famous for a lot of other shots. There's a lot of oneers in this movie. It's not just that one, and even like a lot of them that aren't like action oriented or have a lot of motion. But like, there's a lot of extended dialogue sequences here just a testament to the director and the actors but there's also like a few different things that start off as like close-ups and then zoom out to the most macro level they can and then it winds up being like the speck of somebody's eye um they do that like it's the opening shot of the movie Mm -hmm. and it's incredible they do it a couple times point is this movie has several really incredible shots since contact has i think the most thing the thing most known about contact is the impossible shot um, what are some of your favorite shots in cinema history? These could be extended sequences. They could be uh, oneers. They could be stills. I'm really more so going for like shot, really like one particular small segment. But mm-hmm. I'll let you be loose on the rules. We'll go round Robert style. Um, Jeffrey, not Jeffrey, Jonathan, why don't you kick us off? Okay, my first one, it's a little bit of a cheat. Okay. But I, I have a, another one from this same movie. Sure. But there's a deleted scene from Terminator 2. If you've never seen this, you should mm-hmm. absolutely look it up. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a whole scene they filmed that was so complicated and, and executed so beautifully um, where they have to remove the chip from Arnold's head. Um, yeah. And the way they did it was that the mirror he's looking into is actually a cutout and Arnold's on the other side of it. And there's a dummy on the on the front side, and because Lim- Linda Hamilton's a twin, they used her twin uh, to be the reflection of her in the mirror. And the the level of skill that went into this shot that then was deleted from the movie it's 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 insane, but it's it's so well done, um, 
so if you've never seen it, uh, definitely look it up. But because it's a deleted scene, I'll just say um, from Terminator 2, the greatest thumbs up in cinema history as he's being <laughs> lowered down. That's my, yeah. my shot from that movie. It's pretty iconic. Since you gave two, I'll also give two um, from the same movie. Um, I have two from Inception. Shouldn't be a surprise. There's one where Leo is introducing Ellen Page to the world and then the city folds over on itself. Yes. That's a good, that's such a good moment. And the rotating corridor um, has yeah. to be. That movie's full of incredible shots, but those are two that really stand out to me. Nice. Jeff, you got a couple? Yeah, so I'm going to stay on theme for both um, Nolan and Space. I'm going mm-hmm. Interstellar. One of my favorite shots of the that movie is when they are passing Saturn and McConaughey gives Romilly the... Um, the earbuds and then uh, plays the the storm sounds and it, it goes to that real wide shot of them that like they're in that speck and then they're just next to um saturn and they're flying by and i love that sh- just that shot alone it, just, yeah. it, it gives me chills every time and i just like there's so many good shots in that movie but that one's probably one of my favorites um i'll also throw out interstellar um it's nothing like spectacular like cinematography wise but i think it's a perfect especially in the moment but just the crying scene um it's incredible um yeah, McConaughey's oh, so good so, in that shot it's so heartbreaking yeah um it again it's not like cinematography special i mean but it is it mm-hmm. is framed really well and McConaughey's excellent and it's cut really well between you know him and chastain recording these videos growing up it's make me cry every time why don't you throw out one more jeff i actually have a twofer yeah i've got the batman i've got two scenes yep. from that movie that just give me chills every time i watch it the one scene where he stops penguin on this on the highway and he's walking towards the car upside down i mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. that shot i love that movie and i think that movie is in my top five of all time but then Shoot. my other the other shot I, I know it's a big statement i need to watch it with you then <laughs> i'll t- i'll tell you every single thing i love about it Actually, no, you know what? I'm sorry. I have a threefer for this movie. So that's one. Oh, shoot. Yes. One of them has to be Resurrection Batman. Yeah, well, one of them is um, when he's, it's in the beginning of the movie where he's on that train platform and he's confronting all those crooks and the guy walks up and he's just beats the living snot out of him. I oh, love yes. that moment too. It's so yep. brutal and I love it. And then the third one is when he's leaving the club for the first time. And it's that really wide shot. And you see like half the screen is the building and you can see like um, him walking out of the club on the street because in that shot, you can see in the corner of the building, the the same apartment where the Riddler is actually sitting and, and mm-hmm. spying on the club at and which, co- which comes back later in the film. And so I love that shot too, because I, I heard about it after I'd watched it the first time and I watched it a second time and I was blown away. I was like, that's amazing. Awesome. Uh, so. I'll throw another Bat one, Batman one out there. Um, I, so I was, I, sh- I, I, I looked up YouTube to show my wife how they made the contact shot. And while I was there, I just find, figured, you know what? Let's just YouTube some videos on the best shots. I don't want to miss any, any of that mm-hmm. are out there. And one came across. I'm like, really? Mama, actually, no, that's great. This person picked uh, Batman Returns. And I was like, oh, like those Tim Burton Batman ones certainly had a good style to it. There's a moment in the very beginning the bat signal going into Wayne Manor is just so excellent. And it's, oh, got, yeah. it's got Bruce Wayne standing in the middle of it. And he like turns around, he pulls off his glasses, all Michael King. Mm-hmm. Like. I hate Batman returns, but it is gorgeously shot. I, I, but I, I disagree. I love it, but I, yeah. but I grew up on that movie. So I'm, I'm 
it's just nostalgia for me. Jonathan, you got a couple? Yeah. Let's see. I've got this shot towards the end of Jurassic Park where the T-Rex makes his triumphant return and he mm-hmm. roars and the the sign the that says, yeah, the, yep. the banner that says, you know, when dinosaurs lived or ruled the earth, I think. Uh, and I that had falls that down. one. Yep. Yeah, that one's just awesome. Um, and then one other I have uh, is um, Andy Dufresne in Shawshank. When, yep. with the arms raised mm-hmm. in the rain. Very, very cool shot. Uh, I'm going to get a couple stereotypes out of the way, but there's a <laughs> there's a mirror shot in Citizen Kane that is maybe the best single frame in cinema history. The Star Wars dueling sunsets, mm. I think it's mostly yeah, considered a from A New shot. Hope, but you know what? I'll take the last Jedi shot. And um, yeah, those were kind of, those under the Shaw, Shawshank ones were of course going to be on everybody's lists. Yeah. And the Jurassic Park one also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to throw out, you know what, since we talked about it earlier, I'm going to throw out um, Gwen Stacy's death scene in The Amazing Spider-Man mm. 2 is shot so well. Yeah. It is really good. Both from like the slow-mo and you see the like the web in an extreme close-up like moving. Everything's working really slowly. Everything happens in an instant. And then we get the side view and maybe the best sound effect mo- second of all time. Um and uh, that her death scene, I mean, it's ripped straight out of the comic pages. Oh, for sure. I could also throw out the Watchmen funeral scene if we want to go straight, like ripped straight from the comic pages. But mm-hmm. yeah, the death of Gwen Stacy is one of the most visually striking. I'll throw out one more since this is another comic book movie. But there's a moment at the end of Captain America Civil War where Cap and Iron Man are fighting. And um, it's uh, it's straight out of a comic book panel. It's like we're like he's holding up the shield and they're blasting the. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one very well. Oh yeah. So yeah, the again straight from the comic book. Um, those are the only comic book ones I had written down. I have at least four more, but somebody else. I've got I've got a a, a very um, basic not basic a very simple one, and then I've also got a very like camera trickery one. So I'll go with the simple one. The final scene of the movie Big Night. I don't know if I you guys seen are this familiar. One. Oh, it's such a great movie. Then I'll skip that one. I think you should watch it. On it, uh, just just go just go watch the film. It's a great film. I did um, a BEC about it a long time ago, and I and that was when I watched it for the first time. It's a it's a stellar movie. But I'll move on to the other one. So in the movie Airplane, stay with me. There it's is the a boobs, scene. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yes, Aaron. Yes, it's the boobs. You're right. <laughs> no, so it's it's the scene where they call the the hotshot pilot. His name is Rex Kramer. And he get you know he walks down the stairs and he gets on his hat and he's getting on his coat and he's talking to his wife and he's standing from the mirror like fixing himself up and then he walks right through the mirror and you think like it's it's a, just a weird trick of the of the eye and of the of the camera and you think he's looking in a mirror but he actually ends up just walking straight through it like it's a doorway it's su- it's such a really interesting shot I love it so much I don't remember that it's been a while since I've seen Airplane. I need to watch it again. It's probably on YouTube. Just go look up that one scene. It's worth it just for the one scene. I mean, the whole watch. movie is worth watching. Oh, yeah, it's great. Um, I, I will throw another one out since I, I didn't get to talk about Big Night. Mm-hmm. There is a it's, it's a scene that makes me laugh a little bit every time I watch it. It's in Everything Everywhere All at Once, where Evelyn is having this big introspective moment, and she's kind of like talking to her, and she's also talking to Joy. And she's kind of coming in and out of like seeing all these different things. And then all of a sudden 
Joy just goes, Evelyn, and then cuts to that big white room with the with the bagel behind her. And she just goes, bagel. Yep. It makes me just every the, the, time. Simpl- the simplicity that just makes me giggle every single time. I love it. I would be remiss if we don't mention what I think is the most visually striking movie of all time, um, Blade Runner 2049. If I have to call it a specific shot, I'm going to say it's Kay walking into Vegas. Um, okay. That's all dust covered and mm-hmm. barren. Um, it's killer. Yes. Um, that whole movie is my, I think, the, a visual treat. Mm-hmm. Nice. I had um, even more so than the iconic bullet time shot in The Matrix of Neo, you know, bending mm-hmm. backwards. I think earlier in that movie, when Trinity jumps out, you know, of the chair and kicks, that I think was it really set up, you know, what that movie was going to be. It was so, um, nothing like that had been done before. Um, and I think that to me stands out even over the, the, the more copied and the more, you know, maybe more influential, uh, bullet time shot with Neo when, when Trinity comes out of that chair, I thought that was, that was excellent. Nice. I'll throw one musical number in there. And I, I only picked this one because it's a relatively steady cam the whole time. And it's a very iconic place, but I'll pick La La Land, the waste of a lovely night um, mm-hmm. dance. Because the camera's mostly steady, and it's them on the park bench just outside the Los Angeles Observatorium. Um, very iconic, um, singing in the rain, um, homage, and uh, mm-hmm. um, my personal favorite song, what's second favorite song for that soundtrack? Because um, Audition Song is the best, and that one should have won the Oscar, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's what we'll go with. Also, I'll throw in another Damien Chazelle there. I think the way, first of all, the olive whiplash is shot, but specifically the finale, where it's like got extreme close-ups of Miles Teller. It's got extreme close-ups of J.K. Simmons. And you can kind of, like they're they're acting so much in their eyes in those moments, but the way that they're recording him fill, do this drum solo, and he's leaving everything on the line, and it like will also like transition sometime to where there's like just empty black room with just a spotlight on the drum set and all sorts of different angles. It's, it is peak to me. Um, as there's a drummer, so many, there's so many good shots in that movie. I love the sh- I This is not one of mine, but I just thought of it just now. I love that shot where he's been practicing the drums so hard and his hands are bleeding and he takes his fist and he just like mm-hmm. brings it right into that glass of, uh, or that, that pitcher of, uh, ice water. Yep. I love that shot too. And then he destroys the snare drum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a great moment with um, Charlize Theron and Mad Max Fury Road. There's lots of them, but there's one where she feels so defeated after finding out about her heritage and her lineage. And then she just goes and crouches in the sand and Mm -hmm. screams to the heavens. And uh, it's incredible. That's a, yeah, that's a good shot. I like that one. I got a couple more. I love, I got two Wes Anderson ones. I've got the -hmm. Royal Tannenbaums when Margot gets off the bus and that Nico song plays. Um, and we see like that flow move into um, uh, Luke Wilson's character. I love that moment in that movie. Um, and I also love this. It's, it's more of a scene, but I love this, the scene between in Grand Budapest Hotel when they're on the train going to the old lady's house and him and uh, or Ray Fiennes and Tony Ravioli are, are talking to each other on the train. And then you just see like that shot outside the window. And then you like, as it comes to this stop and you see the soldiers out in the snow. I love that one too. Grand Budapest hotel, making a lot of the YouTube videos that I watched. Um, rightfully so I'll throw out one, um, pick a frame from nightmare before Christmas that probably belongs on this list. And, um, 
but I could think of a million different, you know, Jack coming out for the very first time or um, Mm -hmm. Jack's lament where he's like in front of that giant moon and the tree. Anyway, I will end with, I will give my last one and say there's a fight that happens in Skyfall. It's in China. I want to say Hong Kong, but I could be wrong. Yeah, but it's where there's like a sniper and Bond gets the jump on him. And it's just this this whole floor of nothing but glass panels. And across the street is this LED light. So you really this giant LED billboard. So all you really see is silhouettes fighting. But it's it's just gorgeous. Of course, Roger Deakins doing the cinematography. Um, it's, I have Skyfall it's just on my gorgeous. list too. Oh yeah, I have, same I shot? A, I, I, no, not the same shot, but I have that scene where uh, Bond and M are on the run and they're driving through that valley and they stop and uh, Bond is like kind of like against the car, just kind of like, like waiting. They're on their way to Skyfall, the location. Mm-hmm. And they're in there just, and it's like they're in this valley and there's just so much like fog and everything on there. And I get, it's just like, it's just Deacon's at his best. Yeah. Nice. I have, uh, I think the most uh, famous shot from the shining is the elevator doors opening and the blood mm-hmm. pouring out. Yeah. Great, great scene. I also have, if you've never seen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, it is a movie that is just full of forced perspective and camera tricks, and you'd, you'd be amazed at how many um, cool effects they pull off. One in particular, um, Joel is trying to run after Clementine, who's left him at this point, and he's he runs one way down a street and then turns around and runs the the same and every time he gets to the end of the street she's now behind him and walking the other direction and um i've seen a breakdown of that scene and and there's basically you know different parts stitched together but it's it's all in camera and that's that's a movie that's just full of those types of really cool creative inventive shots that didn't cost a whole lot because so much of it is in camera is that the same shot where the car is busted on, yes. on both sides? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll just make sure that's our same one. Yeah. Every sure. time someone brings that up, movie up, I don't care if I watched it yesterday, I'm like, oh, I need to watch that movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. Um, I got two last ones, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, and they're they're quick ones. Um, speaking of Woody Allen, uh, Manhattan is that scene where him and um, Diane Keaton are sitting on the bench overlooking the Queensboro bridge. I think that's just a super iconic shot. And then the taking it back to my first appearance on the show, uh, 500 days of summer, the expectations and reality shot where one side on the expectation side, we see summer and Tom like talking to each other on the rooftop. And then we have the other side where he's just sitting all by himself. That, that, that is is really great yeah i saw that pop up on a couple lists too yeah yeah that's an awesome awesome one there's plenty more there's a million we missed <laughs> if you have a favorite uh please make sure to come uh to reply a gif uh or a youtube link of it to the uh replies on this episode on twitter or blue sky or wherever you happen to be whatever you happen to use instagram whatever just um send us a reply of your favorite ones i'd love to see them as well that just leaves us time for a quick spinoff. Uh, that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to tell everybody to stay, check out or to stay away from, I'll kick us off because I've already mentioned it. Um, I, for the very first time, watched The Exorcist this last week because I'm just too excited for The Exorcist Believer um, because the first time that trailer premiered in front of my IMAX screening for, no, it wasn't Guardians, it wasn't Mission Impossible. What did I go see in IMAX? Oppenheimer. 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 Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was going to say, that's when I saw it. 
that trailer premiered in front of Oppenheimer and I had no idea what it was at the beginning since I'd never seen an exorcist movie. And, um, by the end I was like, I need to see this movie. And, uh, so I watched the original this week and, um, really enjoyed it in simple terms. Um, it's a classic for a reason and it's very frightening. Although I, I, I'm not quite sure it's as frightening as I was expecting, but more in depth thoughts on my letterbox review. <laughs> For, for lots of specifics things. But uh, very excited to see The Exorcist this weekend. Uh, the Exorcist Believer. Part of it is because I thought The Exorcist was really good. So, um, Jeff, why don't you uh, sandwich in the middle there? Yeah, I'm not breaking any new ground when I say this, but FX's The Bear is probably the one of the best shows I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I if you haven't if you haven't watched it, or, I mean, most people have watched it by now, but if you haven't watched it already, please go check it out. The the especially season two, the 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 soundtrack is absolutely amazing. I'm a huge Chicago guy. I love Chicago, and so it's just Chicago love all around, and it's it's such a treat to my eyes. And um, Jeremy Allen White is great. Every single actor is just giving it everything, and they're so perfect in it. And if you're a big foodie it's it's got food galore i was talking with uh john about this last week and he just watched it he's in the uk and i said john i'm legitimately not sure if you if you've seen the bear like i think that's as authentic as Southside chicago gets it's yeah like i like i was gonna say, i lived in chicago for for a few years when i was in college and it i miss it every single day and when i watch that show i'm just i feel like i'm right back there if, if you've seen the bear you've been to chicago yeah yeah it's like like closest else it gets is like Blues Brothers maybe. I would even say the the Netflix show Easy is a Joan Swanberg's show. Oh, it's it's great. It's it's a every it's a, it's a basically just like every episode is a new like a different character's uh, story, and, and it's mm-hmm. all shot in Chicago. It's it's a, it's a really great. It's you know it's it's Joe Swanberg at his absolute best, but it's it's Chicago as hell, and I love it. Nice, nice. Jonathan, what are you gonna wrap us up with? I would say, you know, I think the Davis episode drops the day before Loki season two will have premiered on Disney Plus. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm currently rewatching season one. And, you know, Marvel has is taken a lot of flack, you know, understandably so since Endgame with, with content in phase four and five. But I thought Loki season one was awesome i think it's it's probably the best show that they've flooded disney plus with I, although i really liked wandavision yeah it's like, i'll take wandavision yeah i respect the loki pick mm-hmm. so yeah and this the second season trailers everything looks it it all looks just much bigger um and amped up and so i'm really looking forward to that so if you haven't seen the first season uh i would say um binge it in anticipation of season two about to drop and if you you for some reason um don't have disney plus or don't want to give money to disney plus or anything like that they just released a um 4k set of loki season one that's right uh including a steelbook now it's 50 bucks and a disney plus subscription is like 7.99 a month but like it's way overpriced, but yeah. uh, I'm definitely getting the WandaVision one for yeah. sure. Oh, WandaVision. Yeah, especially if you don't want to get the if you don't want to pay for Disney Plus in the future, you have these for yeah. the rest of your life, you know. Yeah, exactly. Mandalorian and, and, season and especially one and even two. like if you wanted you can go with Mandalorian too. The Mandalorian seasons are out too, so only the first two. Oh, yeah, only the first two. And I don't think quite yet, but they're about to drop. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah, there we go. Loki season 1, The Bear season 1 and 2. 
Mm-hmm. Nice uh, Disney properties being represented today. In- <laughs> with Warner. That's a wrap. Uh, remember, you can follow Jeff and Jonathan at the places that they mentioned at the top of the show. I will have some handles listed in the episode description below that way you can find them. Um, copy and paste from down there. Quick reminder that Sip Pop Writers Room is part of Studio DNA Network. You can check out all the great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for sippop.com or you want to get in contact with the show, send us some feedback or a question to explore during the beat plot, then email writersroom at sippop.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify if you're listening on a platform that lets you rate like those two. Next week, Joe and Scott are joining me to talk about the original Dawn of the Dead. As mentioned several times before, I've told them that we're going to be discussing the extended mall cut, which you can find on YouTube for free to search Dawn of the Dead extended mall cut. It is apparently a culmination of all of the different cuts of this film because there's at Mm. least four and it is a fan edit. But uh, and there's apparently like a version that was released that is essentially this fan edit, but color corrected. Um, But it was only in Germany and it's like three hundred dollars to get it. Um, And I'm not doing that. When it's free on YouTube. And I already I also own a 4K that has the Dario Argento, Argento cut, the director's cut, and the theatrical cut. So we will be discussing, based off of the extended mall cut, which is supposed to have as much footage in there as possible. I'm probably going to also try to check out the theatrical cut just so I can see what's missing and what's not. But um, there's a million different cuts of that movie. If you look into Wikipedia, you'll find out why. And it's very hard to get your hands on as well. But I'm telling you, it's free on YouTube. So... Joe and Scott will be joining me for that. Next uh, two weeks, Matt and May will be joining me to talk about two very similar movies, uh, Nicolas Cage's Mandy and um, Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. So <laughs> they'll be there to, uh, two weeks to talk about that with me. Uh, Jeff, Jonathan, it's been awesome. I really appreciate having you guys on, um, hearing your thoughts on lots of different movies and for making me watch Contact and District 9. So really appreciate your time. Thank Thank yeah, you. thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. For sure. We will do this again sometime. It's getting probably about time they need to start making the next schedule, but uh, or at least get an email draft ready. Uh, but next week, we will see you for Dawn of the Dead, and uh, we'll see you guys next rotation. <laughs>